And if you're new to us, you are here for the final message of the series. Uh, but if, if maybe you missed a week or so, uh, the series is based on Tom Rainer's little book, I Am a Church Member. It's a powerful little book. Matthew, there are two copies on the front row. I wanted to give one of them away. If you have, don't have the book, raise your hand, and he will. the first person to raise your hand, he will bring it to you right there. Matthew, see, keep your hand up. There you go. Thank you very much. Uh, the book's small but powerful, and through the series, we have established that every single member matters in the church. Every member has a purpose. Every one of you matters. And that unity is critical. And church members, that we must be unselfish. And fervent prayer for pastors and leaders is absolutely essential. And then last Sunday, that healthy families make for healthy churches. Today we're going to end the series with what I believe is the most important message of all, that church membership is a gift from God. Church membership is a gift from God. Our church family is a gift from God. And because it is a gift, the question to us is how often do we give thanks to God for the privilege of being church members and for the church family we belong to? How often do we say thank you to God? Because I believe there is supernatural power just waiting in the thank you. But the problem is, thank you is difficult to say, isn't it? For uh, many of us, it ranks among those words like, I'm sorry, I love you, I forgive you. Thank you is difficult to say. Think about it. Have you ever, if you have kids, have you ever had to say something like, what do you say to your mom? Or have you ever had to beg your kids to write a thank you note to their grandparents for a present that they received or some money that they sent in the mail? I know when I was younger, my mom had to constantly remind me to get the, the thank you notes done. Or has anyone ever complimented you on your yard? Man, you should be yard of the month. Well... You should see the chickweed and the crabgrass. And I can't seem to get the lines just perfect when I mow. You know, why can't we just say thank you and be done with it? But we have to qualify it, make, you know, excuses instead of saying thank you. Or somebody might say, I love your new purse. And instead of saying thank you, you say, well, I got it on sale at Kohl's, plus I use my Kohl's cash. And, well, it's kind of last season's purse, but, you know, I, you know, I didn't want to spend too much. I just say, thank you. Or what about, I, I love your haircut. She took too much off. I told her not to cut it that short. It's going to take six weeks just to let it grow out so that I can go back. And sh- I don't know if she's going to be able to salvage it or not. You know. Thank you is two simple words but very difficult to say. Today we're going to look at one of the most unsuspecting people that is in the Bible whose life was radically transformed because he took time to say thank you. It's a story as recorded in Luke chapter 17 of intentional gratitude and the transformational power uh, that is embedded in it, the supernatural power we find in the thank you. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app open and you'd like to follow as I read, please do that. Uh, Luke writes, 
Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, to the man, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Rise and go, your faith has made you well. A little context on leprosy. What we know today is attributed largely to Dr. Paul Brand, who grew up as a child of missionaries in India. Before he died in 2003, he wrote a great book which uh, helped many people understand this disease, and it's entitled The Gift of Pain. Brand discovered that leprosy is not a contagious skin disease, but rather a disease that attacks the nerve cells. And by killing nerve cells, people who have this disease cannot feel pain. And Brand writes, the gradual loss of the sense of pain leads to misuse of those body parts most dependent on pain's protection, hence his book titled The Gift of Pain. A person, for example, uses a hammer with a splinter in it in the handle, does not feel pain, and then an infection sets in, and then disease can set in, causing often loss of that limb. Or he writes, another person steps off a curb, sprains their ankle, and is oblivious to the pain and keeps walking, and all sorts of problems ensue. Another person loses the nerve that triggers the eyelid to break. Again, it's a nerve disease. And because their eye is not moisturized by the natural lubricating moisture that's in it when we blink, the eye dries out and the person becomes blind. So the failure of the nerve cells can bring tragic consequences to other parts of the body. But back in the days of the Old Testament in the first century where this setting, this story takes place, and even in many countries still yet today, leprosy is viewed as a contagious disease. Victims are shunned and live a lonely and isolated life. They are quarantined outside of other people into camps. And if you remember back in the Old Testament days, they had cleanliness codes from the book of Leviticus that supplemented the laws of Moses. And when someone who had leprosy was coming close to anybody in the distance, they had to shout, unclean, unclean. And you can only imagine the humiliation that that person would feel. And in Jesus' day, leprosy applies to a variety of skin diseases. And uh, people of Jewish and non-Jewish background lived together in these leprosy camps. 
and they would stand at a distance and beg for money and food just trying to make it through a day. Leprosy did not discriminate among race or nationality. So in our text is uh, focusing on Jesus as he's in the last winter of his life. He's on his journey to Jerusalem to face the cross. And he comes upon these ten men and he has compassion on them. His heart went out to them and he healed them of their disease, which we understand is categorized as leprosy. And one of them turned around and said, thank you. So they all go off to face the priest to report that they had been cleansed and the priest would go through the ritual acts uh, and tell them what they needed to do to be able to get back into society. So as they were going, only one of the ten decided to turn around and thank Jesus. Had to be reminded, like I did when I was a kid, to send a thank you note. The Greek word for cleansed in verse 14 is katharizo. They were all cleansed. But you'll see that the one who came back to thank Jesus was made whole. In verse 19, Jesus said, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you whole. The Greek word is sozo, and it means saved. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has saved you. It's the same word that we find in Luke 19.10 in the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus where Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The word save, the same word sozo. So there is supernatural power in the thank you because this one man decided to come back and thank Jesus supernatural power came upon him and not only did he experience the cleansing but he was made whole he was saved and his faith is attributed to that i believe ladies and gentlemen boys and girls that there's supernatural power when we say thank you to god because thank you is really a prayer and when we cultivate that as a habit in our lives our life becomes a prayer it's what writer charles duhigg calls a keystone habit in our lives. And there's a great little book that he's written called The Power of Habit that I've shared with our staff and I thought I'd share a little bit with you today as uh, we are all encouraged to develop not only prayer but thanksgiving as a keystone habit. The, a keystone habit is a pattern, if you're taking notes, it's a pattern that has power to start a chain reaction changing other habits as it moves through an organization or the life of an individual. It causes a ripple effect in our lives, in our churches. For example, Duhigg says that exercise, just one per week, one day a week, causes other things to happen in our lives. Generally, people who start exercising at least one day a week start eating better. They're more productive at work. They smoke less. They're more patient with colleagues and their family. They actually use their credit cards less, and they're less stressed. One day a week. Ripple effect. Families who eat dinner together, he says, raise children who have better homework skills, higher grades, greater emotional control, and more confidence. This, this is some of the research that he has done. He also cites a study that compared people who wanted to lose weight and some of them 
did the gym and diets and all that kind of stuff, food uh, 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 counseling, and nothing was working. So they uh, took 1,600 people who desired <clears throat> significant weight loss, and the ones who kept a daily food log where they recorded everything that they ate throughout the day experienced radical life change. It created a structure that enabled other habits to flourish. He said, those who kept daily food records lost twice as much weight as everyone else. That one habit began to spill over or create a ripple effect into other parts of their lives and other good habits were formed. And the question is this, Pastor Bob, I hear you, but how do I know which habit I need to start? How do I know which habit needs to be my keystone habit? And my answer may sound a little blunt, but I believe that we already know. If we, if we have to ask, we probably already know what it is. Maybe it's to switch, to quit smoking. Maybe it's to quit drinking. I, you know that. Uh, maybe it's to eat less. Maybe it's to exercise. Um, I, I don't know what it is for you, but there there are things that we all struggle with. And I imagine as I ask that question, something has bubbled up to the surface, and then we would take one small step toward making an improvement in that area. Perhaps it's it's saying thanks to God. Maybe we'll just start saying, when we wake up and put two feet on the ground in the morning, we'll say, thank you, God, for waking me up today. And if we begin to see that we're doing that than other things throughout the day, maybe our day gets off to a better start and other good habits follow that. Small wins have enormous power. There's supernatural power in what I believe is the habit of the thank you. I would want to argue that when we make gratitude a keystone habit, it will have an incredible impact on our lives, including how we view church membership. Studies have shown that saying thank you and showing gratitude is one of the most powerful and underused forces in our lives. It can strengthen relationships, make us happier, and more satisfied with our lives. One study from University of California, Davis, showed that students were assigned to write five things a day that they were thankful for showed measurable improvements in spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being. Gratitude is good for both the giver and the receiver of the thank you. So here are a few practical thank you, practical steps that will help us to develop a keystone habit of gratitude. One, you've already heard it in the Psalms, that we can reflect on God's past activity. What has God done in, in the past in your life? What has God done in the past in this church? How can we look back and see God's activity and begin to give thanks to God for that activity in our lives or how He's been at work in the church? And that is a predictor for how God will act in the future because God is consistent. Psalm 107, and five, uh, one in verse 1 and 2 Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. And the psalmist in Psalm 107 reminds the people of Israel of how God worked in their past. He delivered them. 
He broke away their chains. He rescued them. He guided them. He divided the Red Sea. He led them through the wilderness. He freed them from their enemies. Reflecting on God's past activity and giving thanks and anticipating what God will do in the future. When we do this, I believe that it can change everything. Number two, be thankful morning and evening. When we get up in the morning and when we retire at night. Psalm 92 helps us with this. It is good to praise the Lord and make music in your name, O Most High. Proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. So perhaps making it a habit to thank God for a new day in the morning and thank God for all that you experience as you get ready to go to bed in the evening. Thank you, God, that I had another day on this earth to experience. Third, remember that God is our source, our source for everything. Psalm 104 says this so well. I'll read a few verses, several verses here. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. He makes springs pour into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. For the land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle. And plants for people to cultivate. Helping bring, uh, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens human hearts. Oil to make their faces shine. And bread that sustains their hearts. You see, God is our source. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. God is our source. That basic prayer is so powerful. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. All creatures look to you to give them food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. God's our source. And the last one is this. I believe this is so powerful, church. And as we leave this series and continue on uh, next Sunday, as we face Pentecost Sunday, we can move from I have to to I get to as church members. We move from I have to to I get to. Church ceases to be an obligation when we are grateful for our church and grateful for church membership. Fred Craddock writes this, It is often the stranger in the church who sings heartily the hymns we have long left to the choir, who express gratitude for blessings we had not noticed, who listens attentively to the sermon we think we've already heard, and who gets excited about an old Bible, and who becomes actively involved in acts of service to which we send small donations. May, uh, must it always be so, he asks. Can we take a step from I have to to I get to as church members? When gratitude becomes a keystone habit in our lives, church membership and church are no longer an obligation or something to check off the box, or a meeting we go to, or a check we write, they are seen as blessings that have supernatural power to change our entire outlook on life and that could spill over into the lives of others. 
People who experience gratitude for church membership worship with glad hearts. And people who worship together regularly are healthier. They have less stress, lower blood pressure, and a much brighter outlook on life. Less prone to depression, much less likely to self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. Healthier marriages, less likely to engage in inappropriate activity online, and so forth. They spend time more with their kids and less at work and in other places. More likely to eat together as a family. I could go on. But when we are grateful for our church and when we want to be here and when it's not an obligation but an I get to, we see the world differently. We see church membership as a gift. We look for ways to serve through our giftedness. Much more likely to focus on other people than ourselves. We move from I have to to I get to. We become more and more like Jesus and less and less of me. And our churches are more and more like the body of Christ and less like an organization. And the communities around us begin to reflect more and more of the kingdom of God and less of the culture. I pray that you will seek to cultivate gratitude as a keystone habit in your life. Maybe you'll work it into your take 30 and in your take 30 time of reading the Bible and praying for your leaders and praying for our church family and praying for your day, you'll seek to work gratitude to God and to others into your daily life with God. Let's join together before we pray in our very final church membership pledge. It's printed in the bulletin and the words are on the screen. Read together with me. I am a church member. This membership is a gift. When I received the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, I became part of the body of Christ. I soon thereafter identified with a local body and was baptized. And now I am humbled and honored to serve and to love others in our church. I pray that I will never take my membership for granted, but see it as a gift and an opportunity to serve others and to be part of something so much greater than any one person or member. Let us pray together.